I'm the Failing Youth Pastor, and welcome to the Failing Youth Pastor Podcast. This episode was supposed to be about dealing with disappointment in ministry. Unfortunately, I had a lot of responsibilities and things that kind of popped up, which if you're in ministry, you understand how that happens. And so I was unable to record that episode this week, but I figured I'd want to leave you with something, give you something. And so um, I'm posting a sermon that I preached on Super Bowl Sunday. It was entitled The Forerunner. It talked about John the Baptist and how he uh, preceded Jesus. And uh, it's dealing with the text of Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. So I hope that you enjoy it. hope it's edifying and encouraging. And we'll be back at it hopefully next week on the topic of dealing with disappointment. But for now, enjoy the episode. Well, good morning. Um, so happy that you could join us for worship this morning. We're going to jump and dive right in because, let's be honest, you don't want to be here until the Super Bowl. <clears throat> so we are going to be in Matthew chapter 3 this morning, and we are going to be focusing on the first six verses. Um, so if you would open your Bibles, um, the words will also be on the screen for you. Uh, so let's direct our hearts and our minds uh, to the reading of God's word this morning. Matthew chapter 3, starting in the first verse. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I pray this morning that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us this morning. And I pray that you would soften our hearts so that your word would take root in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. So this morning, we are going to be looking at John the Baptist. Um, he is also known as the forerunner of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but when I think of forerunners, I think of dial-up internet. Some of you are like, you're weird, and I know. But I think of dial-up internet. How many of you have, have never used dial-up internet? You've never used it? Oh, wow. Okay, there's a few of you. Some of you younger ones, you should be raising your hand. But okay, we'll be fine. Whatever. So if you remember, like looking back on dial-up internet, it was absolutely awful. It's like the worst thing you've probably ever done in your life. Okay, maybe not. But it took forever to get onto the internet. Not only that, it sounded like your modem was trying to cast out a demon that was residing in your computer 
when you tried to access the internet. With all the screeching and clicking and all this stuff, you're like, whoa, my computer's broken. But then you'd get onto AOL and everything was great. Now, right, now you can just take out your phone and instantly check what Tom Brady tweeted about the Super Bowl, right? You, you, you have that, that access. It's almost immediate. Dial-up was a forerunner to what we have now. It was that, that first step to pointing to something that was better, faster, right? Something that worked uh, a, a lot better. Dial-up was, was the forerunner to uh, the internet that we know and, and take for granted now. Now, this morning, I'm not going to be talking about the internet, um, even though some of you are like, yeah, I'm kind of techie. I'd like for you to talk about the internet. I'm going to talk about the forerunner that came and pointed to something better. John the Baptist was the forerunner of the Messiah, and he pointed to someone better, someone greater. He pointed to Jesus. And John the Baptist is one of my heroes in all, in all of Scripture because not only was the guy unique, which we'll get into uh, this morning, uh, but he was courageous. He was outspoken. But beyond those things, he was tenaciously committed to the mission that God called him to. He had a tenacity and a commitment to God that I want to have in my life. So we are going to dive in and we're going to look at the first two verses of Matthew chapter 3 here. And this is what it says. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. John's main message, John's main message when he preached and when he, when he taught was repent. And repentance is an important word for us to, to grasp. It's an important concept for us to, to understand. And, and what it means in the Greek, metanoia, is to change your mind. To take your affections off of one thing and put your affections on another. It is an action word. It's a verb, but it's not a work. It's not done ex externally. It's an, it's an internal uh, action, right? So, so preaching, I'm preaching right now, or attempting to, and that is a work. I'm actually speaking words. Repentance is something that happens on the inside. It's a changing of your mind, of your affections from one thing to another. It's a changing of heart. And repentance is important because it's vital to understanding the gospel. Jesus, when he calls to his disciples, right, he says, follow me. Now, some of them were fishermen. And they had to physically leave their work, leave their families, and put that behind them to follow Jesus. And in the same way, we have to do that, but with our sin, Jesus calls us, follow me. And when we do that, when we turn towards him, we are turning away from our sin. And in a lot of ways, that was the first word. Repentance was the, the first word of John the Baptist's ministry. But unfortunately, 
in uh, today's Christian culture, repentance is often taken out of gospel presentations because there's some distasteful things that, that, that are implied with the word repentance. Here's a few of them. Number one, we are sinners. Repentance implies that there is something broken and wrong within us. That we actually need to turn from something. The second thing it implies is that we're guilty. That without the righteousness of Christ applied to our lives, we stand before the Father guilty. And the third thing is that it's a call for us to turn from our sinful desires. And let's be honest, sin is kind of fun sometimes. It has a draw and a pull on our hearts and on our lives. And so it's difficult to turn from that. And though that that word repentance might not be a likable word, a desirable word, it's a vital word. Because the truth is, you and I, we are sinners. You and I, if we stand before the Father, not covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we are guilty. And unfortunately, our sinful desires only seek to destroy us. But repentance wasn't just the, the first word of John the Baptist's ministry. It was the, the first word of, of Jesus' gospel presentation in Mark chapter 1. When Jesus sent out the 12 disciples to go preach and teach, it was the first word of their ministry as well. In Peter's Pentecost sermon, it was the first word of, of his message. In Paul's ministry, it was the first word to repent. And repentance highlights a simple truth that we are sinners in need of a Savior. John the Baptist knew it. Jesus knew it. The disciples knew it. But repentance isn't just the recognition of our sin. Repentance is actually the call to follow Jesus. When we take our affections and we place them on Jesus, naturally we are taking our affections off of our sin. And oftentimes we get caught up, how am I going to beat this sin? How am I going to beat this sin? How am I going to beat this sin? Look to Jesus. Don't focus on the sin, focus on Christ. We then transition, Matthew transitions in verse 3, to give us a little insight of who this John the Baptist was. This is what it says. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Here, Matthew is quoting from Isaiah chapter 40, and he's applying those verses to John the Baptist. So let's take a moment and we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 40 and we're going to read verses 3 through 5 in Isaiah 40. This is what it says. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight the desert a highway 
for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Long before John the Baptist was born, a forerunner for the Messiah was prophesied to come. Adam Clark, when discussing the role of forerunners in that time, said this, The idea is taken from the practice of eastern monarchs, who, whenever they entered upon an expedition or took a journey through a desert country, sent harbingers before them to prepare all things for their passage, and pioneers to open the passes and to level the ways and to remove all impediments. You can imagine being in in that time, if you were an ambassador, if you were a prince, if you were a king, and you had to get from one place to another, it would be extremely difficult. They didn't have planes, they didn't have trains, they didn't have cars. You wanted me to say automobiles, I know it, some of you. You know, yeah, yeah, you you got me. But they didn't have any of those things. And so if they wanted to get to another place, another region, they would have to send people out and they would remove boulders and they would level all of the the, the rough land. They would cut down trees. They would flush out wild animals. They would make it so that the king, the ambassador, the prince, the princess... The whatever, would be able to travel nice and smoothly from one place to another. And obviously, if you were the one sent out to do that, that would be extremely difficult, back-breaking work. And it would be dangerous. But the forerunner of the Messiah wasn't making terrain smooth, The forerunner for the Messiah wasn't moving rocks and and boulders. He was preparing hearts and minds for the coming king. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. Men's hearts were like a wilderness, wherein there is no way. But as loyal subjects throw up roads for the approach of the beloved princes... So were men to welcome the Lord with their hearts made right and ready to receive him. Just as trying to clear out brush and and preparing the way for an actual, uh, a, a physical king would be difficult, so is preparing the hearts of people. And that was the task of John the Baptist. He was gonna make a way for the message of the gospel to be shared. And there's an important application here for us today in the place we find ourselves in. God often calls us to do difficult things. He commands us to be faithful to him, and he desires us to follow in the footsteps of the Messiah. But the Messiah's tracks often lead to tough, difficult places to show his love. And some of the things that God is calling you to this morning will demand dedication, compassion, and passion 
to see God glorified and to see people loved. And there may be a few of you sitting in here this morning, and you know that God is calling you, nudging you, directing you to some type of ministry. Maybe it's not a, a formal ministry like preaching and, and teaching. Maybe it's being at school and seeing the lonely kid, the kid who sits alone at the lunch table, and sitting by him and befriending him. Maybe it's actually being kind to the guy in the office who no one likes. By the way, in this office, I'm that guy. Just thought I'd throw it out there. And God may be challenging you to do a difficult thing. Maybe he's challenging you to actually share the gospel with your neighbor, with your friend, and you feel inadequate, and you're scared. But let me tell you this this morning. If God has called you to it, he will equip you for it. If God has called you to do something, he will equip you for the work. He will prepare you for the work. He will give you the courage that you need to accomplish the mission. He will be there for you. Do the difficult things that God is calling you to, because if he has called you, he will prepare you. John then transitions into the unique personality that John the Baptist had in verse 4. He says this, John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. As I mentioned, John, John the Baptist is one of my heroes. Love the guy. Um, and I'm so glad that, that Rock of Life had an open mind when I came in for the interview process for, for the youth job because I had my camel hair trench coat and I had a nice big bucket of crickets and, and I was just munching on those things. They, they, were, they were cool with it. Okay, and I know what some of you are thinking. Travis, crickets are not the same as locusts. I know, but the locusts were off-season and they were a little more expensive, so I just went with crickets. If you eat three at a time, it's like one locust, okay? So I know, I know you were all thinking that. Okay, I didn't really do that. Some of you are like, wouldn't put it past you. I didn't do that. But imagine for a moment, you walk in, you know, bucket of crickets, you know, you got your camel, camel hair cloak, you know, you're kind of a crazy person, you, you, you know, your hair's all messed up, you got a beard that looks nasty like mine, and, and, and you'd probably be turned away. They'd be like, you looked a lot better on paper. <laughs> Can we get the guy that sent this resume in, not you, you know? Um, but for John the Baptist, he wasn't concerned with how people viewed him, right? He wasn't interested in pleasing men. He was interested in pleasing God. And I think there's a few reasons why Matthew in particular points out his clothing and his diet. Reason number one, he, I believe he is trying to... to to legitimize the fact that John the Baptist is a prophet. And he's showing the connection between Elijah and John the Baptist. Here's what I mean. In, in 2 Kings chapter 1, um, King Isaiah falls out of a window and he hurts himself. Obviously, if you fall out of a window, it's going to be painful. And so he's bedridden and he sends messengers to go and... and, and consult the false god of Baalzebub. 
And he wants to know, am I going to die in this bed? That's what he wants to know. Am I going to die in this bed? And so the king sends out his messengers, and Elijah meets them on the way to the false prophets. And he tells them the king will die in his bed. He will never get out of his bed. He will die there. And part of that was because he was consulting the false god of Baalzebub. So the, the messengers go back to, to king, the king and, and they say, oh, well, this, this prophet kind of came out of nowhere and said that you're going to die in your bed. And the king said, well, who was it? And this is what they answered. He had a garment of hair and had a leather belt around his waist. The king knew exactly who this was. This was Elijah. And so Elijah goes back up to his mountaintop and the king goes, okay, I'm going to send 50 men and a captain go get that guy, bring him down here. We're going to treat him like we treat all the other prophets, right? And so the, the king sends the men, and they climb up there, and they, they're kind of yelling at Elijah, come down, the king needs to see you right now. Elijah goes, if I'm a prophet of God, send fire from heaven, and all of them, 51 dudes just lit up like a Christmas tree, okay? So the king is like, well, we got to get this guy down. So we're going to send 51 more guys up there. Go get him. And they're even more like, you need to come down. The king said you need to come down right now. Elijah, if I'm a prophet of God, send fire down from heaven. Gone. Just ashes, right? It was like Thanos, like that. Some of you, you don't know what I'm saying. Okay. It's okay. (laughs) Not a lot of Avengers fans in here. Anyway, so the third group... The third group that goes up to the mountain, they're a little more reserved. They're like, after two groups get lit up, right? They're like, if you could please come down, that would be great. Please just don't fry me, okay? Um, Don't fry me, uh, but if you could come down, that would be great. And God says, okay, Elijah, you can go down. I will be with you. Go ahead. And so they finally goes down. The reason I share that story with you Not only does it show Elijah, right, he has the the garment of hair and he has a leather belt around his waist, but Elijah was a bold and unique character. But so was John the Baptist. Um, In in verse 7, John the Baptist called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. Uh, John the Baptist is a hipster. He was calling the brood of vipers, or the Pharisees brood of vipers before Jesus made it cool, Okay. He was bold and he was outspoken. He also said that the Messiah was going to come and separate the wheat from the chaff. They were outspoken and they dressed funny. So I think Matthew is trying to make that connection between Elijah and John the Baptist. But there's another reason, I believe, that Matthew points this out. And it's something that we need to take to heart. He wasn't interested in pleasing people. He was interested in pleasing God. In modern day church, when we start talking about, okay, how are we going to get people to come and and visit our church and stay and all that stuff? We think we need to use marketing campaigns. We need to get new carpet. We need to have the best snacks, uh, Sundays, uh, which I'm so excited about the Sundays. You have no idea. I was over there and I was like, okay, no sermon today. Let's just go eat Sundays, okay? And we think we need to have all of these awesome things all right in a row so people feel welcomed and and it's warm and all of that stuff. Now, 
I'm not saying that stuff isn't bad. I'm not saying it's bad to do those things. I'm not saying it's bad to dress nice. Um, I'm not saying it's bad to have a great sanctuary and a place to worship the Lord. I'm not saying it's bad to have an awesome youth space or, or, or any of that. What I'm saying is it's bad when we put those things ahead of the calling that God has called the church to. It's bad when we put those things ahead of Jesus. See, from our perspective, we would have thought that John the Baptist would have failed in his ministry because he was staunchly committed to a message that was actually quite unappealing. Repent. Not only that, the dude's eaten locusts. We would have thought that he would have failed in his mission because he did not have a clean and easy presentation. But when we commit ourselves to the simple yet difficult message of the gospel, we will see success. Why? Because we'll find ourselves right in the middle of God's will. Because we find ourselves right in the middle of the heart of God. And when we share that gospel, when we live that gospel out, we are exactly where God wants us to be. And that in and of itself is success. But John the Baptist, he wasn't just successful because he was a faithful prophet of God sharing what God told him to share. He also saw immense fruit from his faithfulness. Verses 5 and 6. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea in the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. The message of repentance resonated with an immense amount of people. And Jews at that time, this is important for us to grasp, they did not view themselves as, as sinners. They didn't view themselves as sinners. Other people were sinners. This is highlighted in Mark chapter 2, verse 16. The Pharisees asked the disciples, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Right? So at that time, sinners is like a class or, or a group of people. They're the other. They're not us. They're the other people. And that's one thing that makes John's ministry so amazing. They were actually responding to this message that they needed to repent of their sin. Not the other, they. They needed to repent. They were the ones that needed saving from their evil deeds. And God, through his mercy, they responded. And they responded with confession. And in that time, confession was mostly corporate. It was saved um, for Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. It, it wasn't an individual action. Now, there's some things that you could do if you did something so egregious. You would have to individually confess right, and, 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 and provide atonement for the sin that you committed. But for the most part, it was all done on Yom Kippur. But John's inward message, right, that, that inward repentance that he was preaching turned into 
confession, and baptism. And this is the point where we often find a roadblock for ourselves. We like to hide our sin. Sure, we feel guilty about it, so then inwardly we, we repent of it. But we stop there, and unfortunately the sin doesn't stop there. The cycle continues, and we find ourselves trapped in sin, guilt, repent, and then repeat. But what would change if we took out the repeat and put in confession? I believe that that cycle would be radically changed if we as Christians decided, you know what, I'm not going to save this and bottle this up on the inside. I'm going to find people that I can trust, that I can go to, and actually confess my sin. When we do that, we find we are not battling our sin alone, but we have brothers and sisters who are covering us in prayer. We have people who are there to hold us accountable. They'd be able to tell us, stop that, that is dumb. We need each other. And part of that need for one another comes accountability, encouragement, rebuke, correction. Confession is important. And so John the Baptist's ministry totally blows my mind when you understand the context, when you understand the culture. He didn't concern himself with how he'd be received. He didn't worry about uh, being accepted by the people around him. He was concerned with being faithful to the call that God had for him. He was focused on his mission. He was set aside for a special time, for a special purpose to a specific people. And in some ways, we're the same. God has placed you here for a specific reason, for a specific purpose. He has given you people that you have influence in, that you can minister to. And maybe it's exemplifying Jesus where you work. Maybe it's, it's, it's raising kids or, or teaching at a school. Maybe it's through formal ministry or a parachurch organization. No matter what God is calling you to, I pray that you would have the heart of John the Baptist. Radically committed to the simple message of the gospel, not worried about what the world thinks of you because the world is going to pass away, but concerned with what God thinks. In John chapter 3, um, Jesus is, is, is at the river and he's baptizing his disciples. And, and John the Baptist had his own disciples. And, and John's disciples come up to him and they're like, dude, that guy's doing your thing. He, he's, why is he baptizing people? You're the Baptist guy. Why is that guy baptizing people? And John responds by saying this. He must become greater. I must become less. That was the heart of John the Baptist. 
May that be the heart of you and I. May that be the cry of our lives, that Jesus would become greater, that we would become less. May Jesus be glorified in our lives, in this church, in this place, at this time. Hey, look, you made it to the end of the episode. If you'd like to send your feedback, you can reach me on Twitter at failingyouthptr or through email failingyouthpastor at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and hope to catch you on the next episode.